Our text for meditation on this 15th Sunday after Trinity is our Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, I want to talk about, about the prosperity gospel and the people that fall for it. But first, I have a story for you. One day, a poor woman watched a televangelist make all sorts of promises. He told her that obedience to God would lead her to prosperity, that if she just put in her part, her seed money, stepping out on faith, then God would bless her socks off. If she would take her shovel of cash and use it to bless the ministry, then God would respond to this by taking out his snowplow of blessings and money and to just make it rain on her. So she hears this message pondering how much God will bring her for her service. She noted that she too, like the woman in our Old Testament reading, was a widow, the widow of Zarephath. She thought about how hard it was to be a single mother providing for her son. And then she thought about the layoffs coming. She knew her days as a waitress were nearing an end. And she couldn't help but relate to the widow in the story as she thought about how terrible it would be for her own son to starve. So she gets an idea. First, she goes out and gives 10% of all her money to the church. And trust me, her pastor was very happy to see that happen. But then she goes out and takes $100 from her tiny savings account. Half of what she had been able to scrape together over the years. And then she goes into the city. She spends 20 minutes looking around until she finds the most destitute-looking homeless man she can find and immediately gives him the $100 bill. As soon as she does this, the homeless man smiles. He takes off his realistic homeless guy mask, his old coat and his beanie, and behold, 
It was Elon Musk the whole time. Cameramen come out from behind the dumpster as he dusts off his tuxedo and pulls out a suitcase with $25 million cash. I'm so glad you showed this kind of generosity, he says to her. It turns out you're on the Jimmy Kimmel show right now. Say hi, Jimmy, and you're part of this experiment in rewarding those who have charity for the needy. As she tearfully accepts the massive amount of money she just received, former President Barack Obama comes up from behind the cameraman. Ah, hello there, he says with a beaming smile. I'm former President Barack Obama. I just wanted to let you know that I informed the IRS of all this, called in a couple favors, and made sure all this money is uh, tax-free. Even whatever you spend on it won't be taxed. Feel free to buy whatever you need. We won't even charge your sales tax. Well, let's go have a party. And everyone clapped. We all laugh at the thought of this silly, stupid story. Not a soul listening to this isn't familiar with the terrible way that prosperity gospel teachers have mutilated texts like our Old Testament reading for today or our gospel reading. We all know that God provided Elijah, the widow of Zarephath, and her son with food, not riches. We can all see that the oil and flour made a bread for them to live off during that period of famine, not luxury. None of us are under any illusions that Jesus promised anything more than food and clothing. I cannot help but smugly smirk at the idea that God would give me anything other than the bare minimum for my survival. And then I proudly proclaim, in earshot of everyone around me, of course, Ah, oh, praise God for so richly blessing me with all of just my daily needs. I'm no Bob Tilton. I'm not listening to Jim Baker or Kenneth Copeland, and I'm not going to follow along with a crowd of morons who shower these televangelists with their piles of cash. We know the Bible, and so we can happily reject whatever prosperity scheme the rubes are falling for these days. We should recognize this attitude to our shame. Oh, how haughty Christians have become in their orthodoxy, that we thumb our noses at desperate people and laugh at their pain. Maybe you haven't done so. If not, I praise the Lord for that. But there are plenty of polemic, quote-unquote, discernment ministries which do nothing but callously mock the vulnerable and make them to feel stupid. We should instead weep for them and show them the compassion that they have not received. You see, in our gospel text today, our Lord Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. He refers, of course, to the true God and to money. You cannot serve God and money, the latter of which is sometimes translated as mammon, the name of a false god. Of course, we could easily substitute money for any number of idols out there, from serving bodily lusts to chemical addictions to even more benign-sounding idols like family or nation. Anything that you treat as the source of all your good, if it's not the God of the Bible, then it's an idol. But our Lord Jesus Christ focuses on money in particular here, and it is no accident. Immediately after saying one cannot worship God and money, 
he spends 10 verses telling us not to be anxious. Beloved, isn't money a source of anxiety? Don't we feel anxious when it seems there isn't enough? And look at how our Lord speaks of anxiety over food and clothing, things which us moderns can only obtain with money. It was not much different in the first century AD. If you did not own agricultural land, chances are you had to buy your food. If you were not a shepherd or a weaver, chances are you had to buy your clothing. The only difference was that there was not much more that money could buy, and people were not required to use money for nearly as much as we are today. But in spite of the differences, they had the same financial anxieties that we do. There is never enough of it for most people, and the future terrifies us. This is a massive temptation, isn't it? The future is so uncertain, with the only guarantees being that we will die and that we will pay for things. King Solomon notes in Proverbs 18 verses 10 and 11, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall, his imagination. Rich people seem to have so few problems, so little of this anxiety we all feel when the money is tight. Imagine now, in this inflationary year of 2022, when milk is $5 a gallon. We had to spend through our savings to fuel our cars in order to get to work and earn our paychecks that get smaller by the day. Imagine how the rich must feel. Lord knows I do from the financial difficulties I've been experiencing. They must be so relieved living in the walled cities of their riches. They must feel so secure knowing that they won't go broke. When you don't know whether you will make it to retirement or not, wealth seems an awful lot like the cure for your fears. Do you want to know why so many people fall for the televangelists out there peddling the prosperity gospel and throw so much money at them? It is because they are anxious, scared, terrified, and sorrowful. And these teachers are the only ones telling them that God can miraculously deliver them through money. Oh, the teachers are wicked. Let me be clear there. The health and wealth message is outright heresy that denies the theology of the cross and the sufficiency of Christ's atoning death on the cross. They sneak idolatry into these people's hearts and teach them to think that God is keeping the real blessings away from people. They do not tell you that you cannot serve two masters. They tell you that your idol, the thing you're really trusting in for all your good, is accessed through God as an intermediary. God is their middleman to the God of prosperity that they really worship. They have a hard time believing that God loves them very much. We do too, by the way. When we laugh at people who believe in the prosperity gospel, there is a temptation to say, at least in our hearts, of course God gives only the bare minimum, because that's what a good Christian believes. It's easy to think that God doesn't like you very much, doesn't care for you outside of keeping you fed and watered like a houseplant or a caged bird. It is easy to believe that you're on your own outside of the basics. But this is not the case. How does our Lord Jesus speak of God's provision? He asks us in the 26th verse, Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If we are more valuable than the birds of the air, and God provides for us, then we ought to expect that he will feed us well. Regarding clothing, he speaks of the beauty of the lilies and asks, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Ah, so too are we given greater priority over this part of creation. It is not bare minimum, beloved. God so feeds and clothes us that we ought to consider every meal a feast and every set of clothing to be a royal robe. Our Lord does not promise us an easy life, but he does promise us care. People who find themselves sucked into the vortex of prosperity teachings do so because they do not feel like God truly cares about them. The people who react with such venom as to mock the victims of the false teachers have the same motivation. They just feel they are being more realistic about God not caring much for them. But neither of these is what the scripture teaches. Christ is saying here that our Heavenly Father gives us good things because he is gracious and loving towards us, with no strings attached either. Think about the two masters our Savior brings up. One is money, mammon, a cruel master that is never without price. You are told you must earn your wages, create value, make money. Even if someone simply gives it to you, it came from someone else's labors. It is never free, and the cult of this wicked idol has shown that it will engage in slavery, bloodshed, and endless other devilish pursuits which never satisfy the single requirement that this wicked idol places on its worshippers. More. More. There is never enough. There must always be more money. But in comparison, the true God gives you everything you have without you even knowing that he did it most of the time. You can tell me that our gospel passage today doesn't pay the bills all you want, but if you and I knew just how much our Father set things in motion, just to make sure that we have the good things we have, and even the things we think we earn, then we would never cease thanking him. We would be so content that it would feel like child's play to obey the exhortation of Jesus that we not be anxious. Money makes demands but never satisfies. God saves us and provides for us freely. He actually loves you. More than that, God likes you too. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. When you think of all the things, people, and experiences you have enjoyed, if they were not sin, then they were ultimately from God. He knows what you need and provides it for you. He sent his son to die for you. And if that were not enough, the fun evening you had with friends, God rejoiced to give that to you. That beautiful sunset, he had you in mind. The good meal you had last night, absolutely from God who wanted you to enjoy it. He promises heaven and the new earth to all baptized believers in Christ. So even if you do not see all the blessings he pours now, they will become even more evident and expansive in the hereafter and resurrection. 
Beloved, if only we could realize this and carry on with joy in our hearts rather than anxiety. Now, our Lord Jesus tells us to not have this anxiety, to take things one day at a time when it comes to the troubles and worries of this life. Surely this is a tall order, especially in the tough economic times we live in, which are slated to only get worse. But did you know that there is a way we can protect ourselves and others from falling into this kind of anxiety? Oh yes, beloved, there is. We can support one another. Jesus says that we must seek first the kingdom of God and behold his words. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. To seek his kingdom is to seek salvation in Jesus Christ. There is no other way into the kingdom of God but to be justified by faith in him, regenerate in our baptism, rejoicing in the sacrament. But then, after we see that we are saved, we are told to seek God's righteousness. What kind of righteousness? I can only surmise that this means treating our neighbors how God treats us, being generous, giving with agape charity, which takes away the anxieties of those whom we bless. We are blessed by God, and we are to bless others. If we did that, helping those in need and encouraging them to help as well, then all these health and wealth prosperity teachers would be out of a job. Give a poor man groceries, and he will not worry about where his next meal comes from. Help a woman get clothing for her children, and she will not be tempted to give her money to the shysters and hucksters peddling simony from the television screen. Surely the temptation toward greed might crop up, but it shall be drastically reduced among us. If we share meals, money, and goods from our earnings, then we will find ourselves noticing how much God provides for us already, whether that seems much or little. If you are in no place to give due to the hardships you are going through, this is perfectly fine. You are the opportunity God is presenting to someone else so that they may be generous. But remember that the widow of Zarephath gave to Elijah while running out of food, yet she still gave, and our Lord rewarded her with a sustenance that outlasted a famine. He rewards generosity even from the poor, and though it might feel as though it is just sustenance that we receive, let us rejoice that he saw to it to provide for us. Now before ending this homily, let me address some concerns that some people listening might have. First, this exhortation to share and to be generous is not a political statement. Far be it from me to advocate for any political position from the pulpit, let alone the ugly cultures which come out of so many of them. The exhortations of Christ apply to us whether in a capitalist society, a socialist one, a Marxist one, or something better than all of those. Let us not mistake his words with those of pundits endlessly sniffing thrones and twisting scripture to please their masters. And second, this is no call for foolishness. Nowhere does our Lord command us to destroy ourselves in a twisted vision of generosity which saps us of everything. There is no end to those who would take from us and call it charity. After all, Solomon says it best in Proverbs 30 verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. We are called to wisdom, not self-destruction. 
We are called to save money, make wise investments, and even to enjoy riches while we are in plenty. If any pastor tells you that you should be a, quote, reverse tither, end quote, giving 90% of your income or some similar nonsense, then you are interacting with a con man, yet another leech. May we remember to be generous, but to not turn generosity into an idol the way we formerly worshipped money. And finally, this is not to condemn those who were in a bad spot, as though God would have you convince yourselves that bad times are actually good. When things are awful, when times are tough, when poverty looms its devouring head over us, may we take comfort in knowing that the creator of the entire universe cares for us enough to see our plight and already richly provides for us as we go through it. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and Amen.